0: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick Network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the
2: gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Tuesday edition is here. Paul said it felt like a Wednesday. We're going to make it Wednesday quickly over the next three hours. We have plenty to discuss. We're about to get into ESPN's decision to not take the final offer from the Big Ten in regards to the upcoming television contract and the details there on where we will see the future Big Ten football schedule play out. John McClain joins us in an hour. There are tons of NFL headlines to hit today, including training camp battles and quarterbacks playing well. Backup quarterbacks who are thought to be on a roster, maybe feeling some heat, some surprising ones. We've got that with uh, John coming up today in hour number two, and then Senator Tommy Tuberville on the show today. He'll kick off hour number three. He is a part of a uh, possible name, image, likeness legislation. Uh, he and Senator Manchin, they are with a bipartisan effort trying to come up with a solution to put some guidelines in place for name image likeness. And uh, Coach Tuberville will join us today. That will be in the final hour. And in between,
1: tons of headlines. Guys, what's up? Goal of the show today, as you mentioned, is to make sure this show flies by in a manner that it will be Wednesday before you know it, Paul. It's going to feel like a Wednesday today. It will be Wednesday soon enough after this show (laughs) because we are going to go lightning fast throughout the show today. Looking forward to it. The Big Ten will not be on ESPN after this season, but shout out to my cousin, Elisha, who was on Big ESPN last night, was watching ESPN Plus and got a text that said they moved his game over to Big ESPN because of a weather delay, so we got to see my cousin and his Northwest D.C. teammates defeat Maryland's state champs last night in the Little League World Series. So when is next? Thursday at either noon or 6 p.m. Not exactly sure.
0: Well, We'll root for they
1: six. got to win the, cha- the, the loser's bracket to get a chance to play a game to go to Williamsport. That's, that's next on the agenda.
0: It's very cool. Um, let's keep this pace, and then tomorrow will feel like Thursday, and then uh, uh, on Friday, which and then will the be pre-season Thursday, game, I'll feel way disappointed. The
2: preseason <laughs> game will make it feel like Monday all yeah. over
0: again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> You're right. Uh, on the ESPN thing with the Big Ten, I mean, we were talking about this. We broke bread together earlier, and, uh, or, or tortillas. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't help but feel like when it comes down to college football playoff selections and the Big Ten feels like it gets slighted and it blames ESPN for being slighted, we're going to circle back and say, well, you should have worked harder to ensure that you had some presence on ESPN.
1: I think that, here's my immediate thought to this. So when all is said and done, they are going to be over a billion dollars. That's what it's looking like in television contracts. The SEC right now with their exclusive deal with ESPN, and part of that is ownership of SEC network and revenue from that and carrying football and basketball, baseball products on ESPN, it's somewhere, no one's exactly sure, but it's somewhere in the 700-plus million range. Is the SEC really going to sit back for a decade and be out-earned by the Big Ten by over three hundred million dollars a year? No. In television rights, that that just does not seem like it's going to happen. So the Big Ten strikes a huge blow with this TV negotiation. I think, well, it, by sheer numbers, <laughs> that they're going to they're going to dictate this type of money in this contract. Now the flip side of that is they're not going to be on ESPN and say whatever you want about ESPN, and we've said a lot about ESPN, that is the place to go for sports news and games. And when you have a constant news cycle promotional wing that is feeding the other hand at all times, you don't have that with some of these other networks that you're going to go to. So while I think it sounds great to be on Fox and NBC and CBS, when you're the league on ESPN – there's some value in that, too, because every single ESPN program is going to be talking about the, the SEC.
0: Though I do think those programs are becoming less important, and in 10 years I think they'll be a lot less important than they are now. They're still important. Um, and not being, uh, not being covered by ESPN is going to hurt.
2: So they here's what I think the Big Ten is doing by – Removing it, not removing itself from ESPN. I don't think they actively sought to do that. Uh, ESPN had the right to match the offer and chose not to. There was the final offer to match, which was, by the way, seven years, three hundred eighty million for the package. Um, ESPN wants complete rights to the Big Ten, which is why they're not matching. Uh, at least that's the theory, and that's why they're going to get in bed with the Pac-12 now because they're going to own all the games of the Pac-12, put them on at night and you'll have the SEC during the day. But the Big Ten, by doing this and splitting this deal the way they are, I think they have positioned themselves to where Notre Dame may not be able to tell them no. They're gonna get legitimately $100 million per team per year. And the latest offer from NBC to Notre Dame, or at least it was reported, was 75 annually, 75 million annually to stay independent. It will, I mean, they're already, you could say, not making as much money as they could annually from their TV rights deal if they were a part of a conference. But it will certainly be that way moving forward unless they want to link up with the Big Ten, which will be on NBC. So the structure right now will be Fox and the Big Noon kickoff. It will then go to the CBS afternoon game whenever this is officially announced. So the, the mid-afternoon, 2.30 kickoff 2.30 yeah,
1: Central, 3.30 Eastern. That see.
2: will be the Big Ten. I, I would anticipate that CBS college football theme feeling a little weird whenever they go live to the Big House instead of uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. And then at night, you go to NBC. NBC will have the Saturday night game, which will be the third best game based on what I was reading. And you also have, you're competing at that point against the SEC on ESPN or the PAC 12 on ESPN networks and Disney. Um, but guys, I mean, if you think about the money they're going to create here and the offers that they could make for the Irish, I mean that if that's the carrot dangling is the hundred million plus, as they start to add things on and we haven't even hit on Apple and Amazon, which are still in the picture. That to me is the best recruiting tool is you're partnered with NBC. Which they already were with, and you may be able to lure them to the conference from a football perspective, with the money that you're going to allocate.
0: Plus, if you bring Notre Dame in, it probably goes up a little bit from the hundred per team, to Yeah, it could or 510. I mean,
2: But the big so the Big Ten right now can say we're going to give you more. Meanwhile, if the ACC wants to recruit Notre Dame, they're going to give them more than their other member schools, which doesn't make sense. I mean, Clemson's representing the conference on a routine basis in the college football playoff but yet you're recruiting a school to keep you afloat and alive, and you would have to offer them more per year based on the money they're already making. In yeah, TV which deal.
1: Clemson would just say, why don't I just go to the SEC? Right. Why, why would I take less for Notre Dame to join, and I, instead I'll just call Greg Sankey and yeah. see if he wants to, to play ball? Um, I feel like if Notre Dame goes to the Big Ten, they're going to be paired with someone. Interesting to speculate who that would be? It's not going to be an odd number. They would add two teams? I think they're going they
2: would add four at that point to get to 20.
1: Yeah, and it, we're getting closer and closer to what I've said all along, 24. I think this is going to end at 24 in each league eventually, so it's going to continue to tick up and up and up. NBC could really force Notre Dame's hand in all of this by essentially giving them a heads up that, hey, we're paying $350 million for this night game with the Big Ten. We're not going to continue to pay you 75 a year. That's probably going to go away, so it's in your best interest to just go ahead, it's also in NBC's best interest to still get some Notre Dame games and not have to pay that $75 million to them annually. Well, at the same time, if they, played
0: the, if they paid the $75, they would have Notre Dame in the afternoon and a night game right. at night, plus Football Night in America on Sunday night. That's a pretty and,
2: damn good football weekend. And you have exclusive content on Peacock, too.
0: Which they, they
1: may very well be happy with that and not want that arrangement to go away. But point being, if they weren't, that makes it easy on Notre Dame. They go to the Big Ten a lot quicker in that respect. If they if know NBC's that it's not for long for NBC to continue to pay out that type of money because they're now paying $350 million for the rights to the Big Ten also. And then from the SEC perspective, I mean, it's very simple. You turn on ESPN all day and night. And you're going to have SEC programming wall to wall for the most part. So how is this SEC deal for them to
0: go night. to go get it reopened just because they just got
1: top? I do not understand how everything I've read today, the the verbiage that I see is that ESPN deal got sweetened big time when the SEC added Texas and Oklahoma. That tells me that they have not renegotiated anything as of right now. They're just getting the added benefit of having Texas and Oklahoma in the league to an already agreed-upon, signed-by-both-sides 10-year contract starting in 2024. There is no way that the SEC is going to sit back and be out-earned by a quarter of a billion dollars plus every, every year by the Big Ten. Something else is going to break. And I, I think that something, honestly, is... I don't know how you do it if you've got a signed contract... But we see it in the NFL all the time now. Signed contracts don't mean anything. If you decide to renegotiate, you decide to renegotiate. Maybe ESPN and the SEC get back in touch with each other and negotiate something else. Maybe the SEC works out a loophole or a way to go to a streaming service, to an Amazon or an Apple, beat the Big Ten to it, and get some games over there. I don't know how this works out. I'm just telling you, the SEC is not going to sit back and make that much less than the Big Ten. Not for a decade. It's not going to happen.
0: It's worth more, so that big Big Ten's done awfully well for itself here.
2: Yeah, but I mean, they, I mean this has also been no secret. Kevin Warren was at their media days discussing a hundred million per year per school with the new TV rights deal that they want to negotiate. Um, and Sankey has known this too. I mean, I, I don't think the 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 declaration that he was making at the SEC media days, where he gave his state of the SEC, and he's mentioning their big partnership with Disney and ESPN. Um, I mean, they, they're going, and, and that was the hesitation from the Big Twelve, the Pac-12, everyone's hesitation. The Big Ten, with expanding the College Football Playoff this past year, was where. How much do you trust what's going on behind the scenes between ESPN and the SEC? The Big Ten would have the best feel for that because they have been partnered with ESPN for some, in some capacity, for the last what, forty years. When it's all said and done, when this contract expires, so. Um, I, I anticipate that deal increasing, Chad. And I, I mean, we're only moving up with the, the two conferences, Big Ten and the SEC. And the question is, where does the ACC come in? Because they're also partnered with ESPN. yeah. And the, it, we keep hearing about this grant of rights deal, which goes until the mid-2030s, like 2034, 2035. Which
1: is a sweetheart deal for the, for ESPN, right?
2: Now. Yeah, but if you're a member of the ACC, without increased value of a Notre Dame your schools are going to get in the thirty to $35 million per year range. I mean, that is a significant drop, three-quarter yeah. drop from where the Big Ten and the SEC will be.
1: Yeah, and make no mistake about it, this is a win for the Big Ten today, and this is a loss currently for the SEC. It may change, but I feel like it's being painted in a lot of different ways, like, oh, this is ultimately good for the SEC, and maybe it is because, again— ESPN gives you a lot more promotional ability than these other networks that are going to be airing you know, CSI New Orleans throughout the week and not sports programming, propping you up. And there's a lot better college basketball and other sport possibilities when partnered with the ESPN. The winter is going to be controlled by the SEC because the Big Ten now isn't going to be on ESPN anymore in basketball, which is a big chip for the Big Ten and ESPN Now that's going to be all SEC all the time. So a basketball league that's gotten better and better and better is going to continue to do so from a promotional standpoint. But this is, let's mark the win today. This is a big win for Kevin Warren in the Big Ten. He's got all three big boy networks playing ball. They go from, CBS goes from $55 million a year they are paying the SEC for that 230 game to $350 million a year. They're now paying the Big Ten.
2: Well, for, for that the, game. For the second best game in the conference per week yeah. as well. It's not the number one SEC game. It's the second best Big Ten game.
1: So keep that in perspective. Today. And it's $350 million compared to $55 million. That's some inflation. Yes. That but, is a big-time markup. But uh, USA Today pointed this out
2: whenever the SEC and, and ESPN announced this contract in 2020. They put in – I mean, it's no surprise. They said the arrangement struck by the Big Ten in the next three years – may move the conference back ahead of the SEC in annual revenue. More importantly, the deal is almost certain to broaden the gap both leagues have created between the other three Power 5 conferences because they note Pac-12 and the Big 12 are also up around the same time. So now it's just the arms race. It's going to go back and forth. The SEC will add more. Big Ten will add more. And the fight is for Notre Dame. Because if you land them, you're winning the arms race based on who you could add right now. Where, that, where the monetary value is for the media rights.
1: I, I, Big Ten makes the most sense for Notre Dame. If the Big Ten adds Notre Dame, and this all goes to an, an inevitable 20 to 24 teams for each league, I don't think there's any way the SEC wins this battle. I think it's over. I think the Big Ten is more valuable. Who's- Does that mean they're going to start churning out more national titles? I don't think so. Now, I mean, the SEC is the dominant football conference. There's no doubt about that. And players are going to continue coming from the South, and that's going to help the SEC. But from a media rights desirability index, whoever lands Notre Dame between the Big Ten and the SEC is going to win. I find it hard to find a route for either conference to add enough that's left to make up for that,
0: and if Notre Dame if Notre Dame goes to the Big Ten, that partner school's coming from the ACC in all likelihood, and then it begins the crumble of the ACC. The ACC's way for for well, to maintain its its kind of integrity comes the number one way is to to lure Notre Dame to keep Notre well, Dame. Well, the, and the tie discussion it in. though
2: is if it, if it's Notre Dame to the Big Ten, and you're adding another school. The reason you you jumped to 20 is they're they're already discussing... I mean, immediately we heard about Oregon and Washington. And if you end up having to... If you're wanting Stanford or you end up taking another school in the Pac-12... I think that's the only way you go out West is to partner that to jump to 20 instead of taking them from the East Coast. But those seem
0: paired. Oregon-Washington seems paired. Stanford-Cal certainly seems paired. So, again, it's odd But they're not. I mean,
1: one's a state school still and one's a private with Stanford and Cal. And and then you have the um, also
2: those universities are in a media rights deal of their own with the Pac-12. Right now the ACC is locked in. So if you want teams that will jump now, the reason USC and UCLA jumped when they did is because the media rights are open. So if Notre Dame's independent. Where are you going to turn to right now?
1: You're going to the Pac-12 or the Big 12, but you're going to the Pac-12. And there's not enough in the Big 12 that I would – I wrote no. about this at OutKick. There's not a lot of desirable brands right now in the Big 12 outside of an emerging Baylor, Oklahoma State. I mean, it's a lot of blah yeah. in the Big 12. I mean, BYU may have the biggest footprint, and they're not even in the Big 12 as of right now. But if the Big Ten were able to go out, let's just say they're going to get Notre Dame now with this new media deal. Well, let's get to four then, not the one. The other three is, and you look at TV ratings do this also, Washington, Oregon, Stanford. Boom. You have got a Western division of the Big Ten that consists of Washington, Oregon, Stanford, USC, UCLA. They can all still play play each other twice in basketball. Travel's not as bad. You've got a West Coast division, the Big Ten, and the SEC's not catching that. They're not. North Carolina, Virginia, go through all the brands. Clemson, whatever it is, they're not equaling that footprint and those brands and that money and those eyeballs for television purposes that the Big Ten has. The
0: one thing that that feels like a killer to me, I know it's not going to stop it from happening. I've been to a Stanford-Cal game. I mean, that's such a rivalry, and it's another one of these things that just tears apart that hate that we've talked about and the meaning of, of, of real geographical hate that's very close by. Well,
1: the problem, though, with Stanford and Cal is no one goes to the games other than against each other. Right. I mean, the, the, the football culture in those schools are almost non-existent compared to Big Ten and SEC. So you take
0: the one Country. that has meaning and do away with yeah, it. Well, they just don't – the fans just don't care as Also, much.
2: keep in mind, I mean, the, the SEC as, as itself – I mean, the reason why Sankey looks at it, no matter what the Big Ten has added and says, you know, we're, we're, I already view this as a power conference. Because without, without the SEC, what is ESPN right now? So as soon as the media rights deal is up, and you're looking around at who's under contract and who's not, the SEC gets to name their price if ESPN wants to remain relevant. So the media rights contract is only going to go up, and it's much like an NFL contract where the guy who's available is going to be the next highest paid. paid. Yes. Exactly. And they'll just leapfrog each other. But
0: also, but where, if, these, if these other networks are, are, are stocked with games, SEC may, well, the streaming services come into play, but there's also a where else are you going to go factor from the other side. Right. Yeah, well, it's a ten-year kind of agreement that to begins in
2: 2024. What is this agreement with? Are all of the the reported agreements lining up with each other, Big Ten-wise? Because Fox was already in.
1: I can only go by what ESPN turned down from the Big Ten, Which and that was, was a, a seven-year deal. Right. So I'm assuming these are all locked in for seven years, and I'm talking Fox, NBC, CBS. Their their deal would now be a seven-year deal. That's the problem, though, with the SEC deal is it's 10 years as of now unless there's some sort of agreement both reach to tear it up. And I don't know why ESPN would do that. They've got a great bargain right now based on this Big Ten deal and based on Texas-Oklahoma being added to the bunch after they signed this contract. Now, maybe the SEC has an out that since they added Texas and Oklahoma, that deal is null and void because there's more teams involved. And now they can go back and renegotiate.
2: There are also, though... There are the reason why I ask that they all line up, and I would assume they would, but I guess not. They wouldn't necessarily have to. Is there? There is value in having one company running everything, because what this ends up being are many deals that combine for a billion dollars of revenue per year. So you've got CBS giving you three hundred fifty million. You have NBC jumping in. Of course, Fox is in there. Then you have Amazon and Apple coming over the top for their streaming services. I mean, if you have one of them back out or buy out the contract because they need financial things or they're going off to something else, well, then you're back below the SEC with the snap of your finger because of yeah. a network paid the buyout. So there, uh, there is value in having the one company, and it be Disney, that is all in with what the SEC is doing, and they control and they have the right of refu- refusal on the contract whenever they expand the college football playoff. That's also in their deal. So you're going to have all the games on ESPN, and you have the SEC. That's a good ship for the conference
1: to be in compared to having all the branches on the tree. No doubt. It is a good... For the SEC, it's a good place to be in that it's very easy to go to one property and find everything. With ESPN and ABC, which will carry some some things as well, but Disney-owned properties, it's a great symbiotic relationship it's terrific for espn to make sure they're in bed with the sec which is highly successful and very profitable my only thing is that sounds great until you realize they're being out earned by a quarter of a billion dollars for the next 10 years if that contract doesn't change and i just don't see the sec losing to that extent so yeah, what I, happens? I, I don't
2: either. I, I, I agree with you so on that.
1: So you're going to have to get creative or hope that the ESPN wants to renegotiate, which why would they? Because they've got a great deal right now compared to the Big Ten Great deal. and what they're making.
2: Hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts at Outkick360 is where you can follow us, where you can chime in, you can join Chad in the chat as well. Uh, coming up, we begin our 360 SEC preview by looking at the Alabama Crimson Tide There is one area on their team where there is a bit of an unknown except for the fact that there is always the next guy up at wide receiver. Five top 15 selections in the last three years played wide receiver at Alabama. Who's the next guy? Because Williams and Mechie and Bolden are now playing in the NFL, getting set for either preseason action or they're in training camp. We'll detail who emerges as the wide receiver at Alabama. That's next. on we'll now kick 360 first, though. Aurora Nutrascience, VitaLifescience.com, keeps us mentally sharp and healthy at 360. Aurora, with their supplements, they deliver supplements where you need them the most. Your body. That's key here because your typical capsule or, or pill is not well absorbed whenever you take this. You're wasting it. Uh, most pills only absorbed in small, very small amounts. Your digestive system breaks these vitamin C, vitamin D, and uh, curcumin and anything else you may be taking. They break these pills down into small amounts where the pills are nothing more than little for your benefit. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes. And what that means is it ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. You can check out everything online, vitallifescience.com. That's V-I-D-A-lifescience.com. Use the code OutKick360 for 15% off. Outkick360 15% off for our season ticket holders at Vitalifescience.com.
0: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes!
2: We hope you're having a great afternoon. You're listening across uh, some great stations, great radio partners with us. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network, streaming live at outkick.com and live each day at Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. So the big question, guys, for Alabama, at least from how I view this team, because they're going to be very good. It's they're already projected early on, and always. We have to say this on the front end because if we we see injuries occur, you have the old takes that pop up. They're like, I told you this team wasn't going to be that good, and we can point to injuries. Injuries aside, right now they're projected to set the new record for most drafted players in the top five rounds of the draft next, next April. Alabama, right now, for, for draft-eligible players. If every junior that they have declares and they have the seniors perform the way they are and you have some transfers and uh, of course guys that will be climbing the ladder at wide receiver but that position with uh, the Heisman Trophy uh, winner returning and Bryce Young and the talent that they've put in the NFL over the last three years but just last year specifically with Jamison Williams, Mechie, and Bolden gone. Who's who's emerging as the guy? They've always they'll always find guys that'll be consistent, but Bryce Young's going to throw for thirty five hundred to four thousand yards. The passing offense is not going to be an issue. Who is the next big winner? The number one go to guy for Alabama? They they have they have three big options right now. Jermaine Burton has transferred in from Georgia, won a national title uh, last year. He had 26 receptions, caught five touchdowns, had around 500 yards receiving. He averaged over 19 yards per reception. He is now at Alabama, playing in Tuscaloosa, after two years in Athens, and after Saban recruited him hard out of California, where he went to high school, he's now in Tuscaloosa uh, through Athens. They have a Louisville transfer, a speedster, in Tyler Harrell. And then they have Ja'Cory Brooks, who in my opinion, made the biggest catch of the season last year. He's the guy that caught the touchdown from Bryce Young in the back corner of the end zone to tie the game at Auburn with 25 seconds left, where he got the one foot in on a great over-the-shoulder throw and catch by both. It wasn't Williams. It wasn't Mechie. It was Ja'Cory. And I think, for my money, that's where I would point to, is that you have... Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, who steps up in a major way and becomes the next talk of college football.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I think Jermaine Burton and even Nick Saban said he's been the most consistent of all the receivers, and he was the leading receiver a year ago for Georgia. They win the national title against Alabama, and he goes the opposite sideline, and he's now maybe the number one receiver for Bama. Tyler Harrell's interesting. He's a speedster, take-the-top-off-the-defense type guy. Not wildly productive, at Louisville. You could say the same for Jermaine Burton statistically, but Stetson Bennett, they didn't have to throw the ball that much at Georgia. That's one of the reasons Jermaine Burton left, yep. is to go be a top target for the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young at Bama with all those receivers going on to the NFL. So Burton, Harrell, top two. JoJo Earl is going to factor in. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks I think is right there with those top two guys. Here's the bottom line. For the fourth or fifth consecutive year, Alabama's got the fastest receivers in America. That is the one common trait with every receiver on their roster. Incredible speed. So once again, Alabama's going to have a very fast receiving core. All these guys are going to eventually get drafted. And, you know, the world continues to spin because that's what happens now at Alabama.
0: Well, you know somebody's going to emerge big enough, and out of the group there, Burton, Harold, Brooks, Earl, Sounds like they'll have plenty to be just fine. Like you said, Hutt, uh, you got a Heisman trophy quarterback there. Who's going to throw for 3,500 to 4,000 yards. It's a matter of distribution. They've got speed. Do any of us have any doubts that out of the four of them, they're going to find a way to carve up the pie, whether it's, you know, equal parts or however, however the pie shapes, it doesn't matter. Um, they'll all end up in the league when their time comes and, and they'll be just fine. Restock, hell, I mean their coach, who had two top what, twenty-three receivers in uh, on his team last year, three, um, two is 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 calling it a rebuilding year.
2: Yeah, and look, yeah, I mean they they do retool at the position, but yeah, I mean you have to go back to 2016. Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. They, they were more of a, a run-heavy offense. And keep in mind, last year, they, were, they did not have the true top Alabama Crimson Tide-like running back last year either um, with Robinson. He's good, but he wasn't great. He wasn't that upper echelon running back. But 2016, where they were extremely run-heavy, they had about 2,800 passing yards. And O.J. Howard at tight end, well, was a big part of things. And Calvin Ridley, we certainly know what he became and what he was capable of, but he didn't, have the, he didn't put up the type of numbers that you might expect that year. But since that season, they've had at least one wide receiver that has gone over 967 yards in a season. So nearly a thousand yard receiver every year since 2016. Who's the top guy? Because I think that's key. They have the go-to player um, where in the, the SEC championship game, we know where they were going. Uh, they were uh, forcing it to Williams, and then he gets hurt. You've got um, some big grabs by him and from Mechie throughout the season whenever guys are healthy, but they had their true number one. And I'm really curious to see who's the next elite talent that becomes the top talent. That wide receiver and ultimately has a chance to be the top wide receiver draft. Two
0: top forty-four, I should have said. The, Both uh, coming off ACLs, Metcuy went forty-fourth overall. With I mean, Jamison Williams going to Detroit at what twelve?
2: The number, like the just number of names: Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Calvin Ridley, Henry Ruggs, the, the the premier wideouts. I wonder who we add to that list. That, uh, the wild card to me is the transfer from Louisville, Harrell. He only had – he had less than 20 catches at Louisville. But he averaged 29 yards per reception at Louisville. Outrageous. And now he has Bryce Young throwing him the football, and he can fly. So how creative do they get with him and the big plays? What's he capable of? You know, is he the next waddle, so to speak, of what, and how they used him and how they just broke down defenses deep?
1: Something that should make the rest of the country frightened this year is Nick Saban's talking about last year was a rebuilding year. A lot of what he means by that is he didn't really like last year's team. And you could tell by the way he talked about the team that something was off. He talked about selfish guys. He talked about a practice mentality that was lacking at times. He was pretty open and honest about issues he had, which we all took as it's a, it's a, he's whining again about a team that's going to be in the college football playoff. They eventually lose. They had a fourth quarter lead against Georgia in the national championship game. They won the school's 29th SEC title in beating Georgia in Atlanta. So all was not lost a year ago. But the fact that he really doesn't have anything remotely negative to say about this group should concern everyone else. And one of that- he's talking about how much he enjoys coaching this group because they're all incredibly coachable. They just show up and play hard. They don't complain. They don't ask questions. And they go about their business.
0: If I'm recalling correctly, a lot of that was specifically about receivers. We had guys who just went through the motions because they didn't think they were going to get their chance at receiver. And then, lo and behold, we suffer the big receiver injuries and we yep. don't have guys who are ready.
2: Well, Bolden was always ready to step up uh, for, for his from his standpoint. But, I mean, no one stepped up to the Williams level.
0: Which is um, asking a lot, here's, but that's but his expectation. Here's what he was
2: talking about, though. I mean, he also smiled quite a bit after wins because – Alabama for where they ended up could have easily been a three or four loss team. Well you Florida, mentioned the Auburn game? Florida, Auburn, uh, they did lose to Texas A&M. Um, the LSU game, Chad and I witnessed that. That was way too close in yep. the fourth quarter. And it's because of they'll come out of a timeout and have a delay of game. And uh, the Godfather Peter Kern loses his mind in the in his in his box because you don't see Alabama teams do that. In, at the end of October, early November. This was not a September 3rd performance. This was in the heart of the SEC season with the chance to go to Atlanta on the line. They made some really odd errors that you typically don't see Saban teams make. Running out of bounds and blocking someone out of bounds on special teams. Or you know having the false start on a field goal attempt and putting them out of field goal range and forcing a punt. Small things that don't necessarily add up at the end of the year because they end up in the national championship game and they're still the SEC champion. But I think that's what he means by rebuilding. He, he's, he did not have the same type of mindset and clutch performance throughout the season. He got them. We mentioned one of them in the Auburn game. But it was you know five minutes left in that game before things really started to click in and sink in. They were in a world of hurt multiple times throughout the season. They're good enough. I think that shows their talent level to survive that. But this was far from Saban's top teams that he's coached there. Now, just imagine if they win the title and we're describing that team like that.
1: Well, and that's why I mentioned the way he talked about last year's team versus the way he's talking about this year's team. There's no complaints right now about this group. That's that's scary for everyone else.
2: And their defense is a faster... They, I mean, Will Anderson is going to be on a tear. They should be better defensively up front than they were a year ago, too. And the transfer portal has helped Alabama specifically at wide receiver from Louisville uh, and from uh, from Georgia. But keep in mind, I mean, Williams was a transfer from Ohio State, so well, it, bat- it's not unheard at, of. Battle turn safety is no. a
1: is a is a difference maker, you know, at, at that position. Will Anderson, you, no one can block him. With right. just one person. It's it's going to be another year where Alabama... Last year, it felt like Alabama had to make some plays because of their own mistakes to pull some games from the jaws of defeat. Yeah, they did. You're right. This year, it feels like every single game, they're one of six teams that's been favored by Vegas in every game this year. It feels like they're really going to have to screw some things up to lose.
0: I understand. That's how good this
1: roster is. I understand
0: is. that Georgia may not be the wide open offense that a, a wide receiver may crave, but here is the transfer portal to me acting in a in a way that's not great for the sport. It's great for the kid, I suppose. But Georgia wins the national championship against the hated Alabama and this kid flips sides. You know, it's just there's Well, for every
2: like, loss you have a gain. Yeah. It's not like Georgia ignored the transfer No, point I,
0: I understand, but there's the hate that I want to see, right? This kid yeah. should hate Alabama and and be loving the fact that they beat Alabama and instead he goes and joins. Them. After beating them. Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> wants to be I, I, the I,
1: ultimate uh individual. Hey, I won the national title. The team I was on last year won the national title. Guess what? Win. I changed going go to go win over here. It'd be much worse if Georgia lost that game. Yes, agree. If
0: they what lost his, in the SEC uh,
1: ch- championship and lost in the national championship to Alabama, then he flipped, then that'd be even worse. What's his size? I, I know... He's I, six foot tall. He's not big. Okay. Brooks is like 6'2", six, 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 six foot 200. Harrell is not a big guy either, I don't believe. No. No, he's not. He's but Smaller he's, player.
2: I don't want to... This sounds like a knock. He's a gadget guy, but he's... I mean, we we reference his numbers, but then uh, Brooks is six two or six three. You know, he's more of the the Williams size that you would point to traditionally as the X, the the number one guy. But it, any of these three are about to become 6'2", a household. Name.
1: 196 for Ja'Cory Brooks. Yeah, that's more of a to me Jamison Williams yeah, type build yeah. out there.
2: Hit us up with your thoughts as Alabama is far and away, the favorite team in the SEC this year, not just at SEC Media Days, but from the coaches' poll yesterday, and they'll begin the season um, with those expectations. And they have, I mean, they have those expectations every year. It's really difficult to preview Alabama when the expectation is, uh, yeah, there's another team that's going to be in the college football playoff, and they should win the championship. Do
1: you think people that cover Alabama ever get bored with it? <laughs> it's like, man, well, so what... Uh, How many draft picks are you talking about again this year? Up to 12? Yeah, I I asked the roundtable guys
2: that when we had them them on from Atlanta. Just, you know, do you sometimes root for a season like last year where everything seemed just a step-off pace from what traditionally was the case where they're up by 21 in the third, and instead they're up by three going into the fourth quarter? You know, there was more to talk about last year than they've had in quite some time. And they still had the Heisman Trophy winner. They still had Jamison Williams. They had Mechie coming back.
1: Won the SEC. Well, it's I, I would say it's it, they live in an alternate reality because they've yeah. been so dominant for so long. But that alternate reality is their reality. I mean, they they sweat three touchdown wins over SEC teams. It's just not. Well, it's not like covering uh, the NFL where you understand there are going to be losses. They were. They. I agree with you. They were.
2: Um, they had that vibe though towards the end of the year where I would say after the Ole Miss game where it started to turn, it was the A&M happened after that, but you had the the A&M loss and the fan base was just kind of like, yeah, just not the same team resonating here than what we've had in years past, even though we weren't buying it midway through the season. And they go to A&M and lose. They, you know, they nearly lose to LSU. They nearly lose the Iron Bowl to a, a very average Auburn team. Strange. But yet, we we went to the Ole Miss game, and they, I mean fan, the fan base there treated that like going to church. The doors were open. You're supposed to go, find your seat, and watch the show. You know, you, you, you tithe at Bryant-Denny. That's the way it was treated going into that stadium. And sure enough, I mean, they blow them out.
1: I'd like to see a season where that church turns into their hell just one time for <laughs> Alabama. I think that's uh, necessary for them at some point. Let's have a losing season out of nowhere for Alabama. Let's mix it up a little bit. Let's get some get some things going in the SEC. Well,
0: I root for that every year.
1: Coming up, a glimpse inside Marcus Freeman's first
2: practice with Notre Dame as they prepare for Ohio State in week 1. It's next on Now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady. There was something different about Marcus Freeman's first practice at Notre Dame as the head coach. Our kick three hundred and sixty rolls on. They're preparing for Ohio State. That's at the shoe uh, first weekend of college football.
1: What a way to start college football yeah, season with that no matchup.
2: Um, so he has. Uh, by the way, it was it was his first practice. No real buildup. Um, and he opens just full throttle, straight attack mode, and he opens with a um, a two hour full on like all go practice where if you drop out because you're tired, you're just replaced there's no slowdown to it. And he said that that was going to be the mentality where he felt like every practice is going to be about the same length and a bit unpredictable. And he started in the red zone first drill of his first practice after uh, waking up and, and walking around campus at 5. AM thinking about the message he wanted to send Al golden is on his staff. Al Golden was uh, briefly with the Cincinnati Bengals last year, Super Bowl runners-up, and one of the things they would do is they would start practice closer to the end zone. Um, That way you're not, I guess, um, with the GPS track and everything else, you're not exerting the receivers, the guys who are running long distances early in practice. You're building up those soft tissue uh, muscles uh, for later in practice, and— And and the thought is you get warmed up a bit better. But he starts in red zone because Al Golden recommended it. And that just sends a mentality to the team that you're in the intense 20 yards and end zone. And he kept that going throughout the entire practice to the point where um, whoever was watching took note that that was vastly different, uh, a pace and a mindset and a tone compared to what Brian Kelly was doing the year prior or years prior with
1: the Irish. This is that time of year where every new coach is covered and it's always compared to, boy, this is a lot better than the old coach. That old coach from Notre Dame had a lot of success. So we'll see with Marcus Freeman. He's certainly shiny and new, and he's doing some uh, different things with Notre Dame, but Brian Kelly got the LSU gig, and he got Notre Dame to the playoff multiple times because he's a really good coach and has been great everywhere he's been. So I'm curious to see how this works for Marcus Freeman. I love the start. I think if he's claiming that they're going to keep up this pace with every practice, let's see how that works from an injury but, perspective, and then I'll, I'll re- reserve judgment to
2: the end of the season. And here's his tie-in. We, he said, look, we have to be ready to go right out of the gate. We're on the road at Ohio State. Yes, so our first practice is full steam ahead, where he said long practices, tough, hard practices, we have to develop fast. It's very intentional with how we practice right now.
0: Certainly, that first practice, too, for a new coach is a, an attention-getting tone setter. Yes. And mission accomplished there.
1: You don't want it to be a walk-through in that first practice, especially I getting ready for all this. No patty no there.
2: There's been another trade request, this time on defense. John McClain joins us next on kick 360.